Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We are your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. What's going on, weirdos? It's your boy, Andrew. And Stephanie. And welcome to the History for Weirdos podcast, episode number 19. Yay, we're back. We're back. And I know it's been a few weeks since we last spoken, friends, but uh, there were a couple of extenuating circumstances, I think, mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we actually had a really, really cool episode planned for you guys. We had my friend, and um, we actually lived together on the same street ever since we were like six years old. The one and only Patrick Schoenberg, a brilliant comedian. And he was going to tell a very interesting story about Benjamin Franklin, but unfortunately, the Zoom audio quality was awful. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not seeing people in person, so we did the that episode via Zoom and tried to record it, um, just have the audio for this podcast and it was definitely not usable at all it was so sad yeah it had a lot to be desired unfortunately and then last week of course there was the monumental um, black lives matter protest and out of respect for that you know we decided not to just post something willy-nilly we wanted we didn't want to post anything just for the sake of posting Mm -hmm. so um, you know that being said you know we uh, actually have a pretty interesting and poignant episode, I think, planned this for today, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. and I just want to add to that saying we took time um, to listen and learn uh, with everything that's going on in terms of the protesting, you know, with the recent police murders mm-hmm. uh, against black people. And this is history, everyone. Like, this is yeah. history in the making, Um We really hope that while there's so much work to be done, that this helps all of us to, you know, demand change and to demand a better world. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it totally inspired us to start looking into different stories to share with you all on this podcast. And we're super excited to do that. And I'm really excited about today's episode. Yeah, well, thank you so much, actually, for uh, diving in a little bit more on that. That was was really nice. Oh, thanks, babe. (laughs) Well, today... Andrew and audience, (laughs) I will be sharing the story of Sally Hemings and her descendants. Ooh, that's... I knew this was coming. I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I knew exactly this was happening. No, babe, pretend like you don't know. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, you guys don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, good. (laughs) So, actually, something that really got me thinking and, like, in a roundabout way inspired me wanting to do this episode was a Facebook post that... Brene Brown did um, at the start of these these really important protests. She shared uh, like a picture of a post-it note mm-hmm. where she wrote, the system is not broken. It was built this way. Ooh. And her post then highlights some amazing teachers on the subject like Dr. Bernice King and Dr. Clint Smith and so many more people who who can speak to this in a much better way than I can. So you can go check out her post um, if you want to see a little bit more, but I just want us to keep that in mind and I'm going to bring it back in at the end of the episode. The oh, system nice. is not broken. It was built this way. So my sources are one, 
my primary one, I would say, is the website for um, Monticello. Oh, cool. So it's monticello.org slash Sally Hemmings. Some writings from Annette Gordon-Reed. She's super cool. She's an American historian and Harvard law professor. Wow. And she she's written um, lots of work about Thomas Jefferson and about Sally Hemings. She wrote The Hemingses of Monticello, which I really want to read. I read the reviews. was amazing. And Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, as well as lots of other books kind of about the founding fathers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I also uh, used a New York Times article called Monticello is Done Avoiding Jefferson's Relationship with Sally Hemings, written by Farah Stockman and Wikipedia, because, of course. What is life without Wikipedia? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So before I jump in too much, um, in this story, there's a lot that we do know mm-hmm. based on DNA evidence, Jefferson's plantation records, other primary sources, um, accounts from people of the time, including Madison Hemings, who's Sally Hemings' son. And um, there's a lot we don't know because Sally Hemings herself left no written accounts. Right. Uh for example, something that I found really interesting is we actually have no idea what she really looked like because there's no known images of her. Of Sally Hemings? Yeah. Wow, that's such a disappointment. I know. A couple, like, there's a couple of mm. accounts of like other enslaved people mentioning um, that she was very fair-skinned. Mm-hmm. And I think for everyone who doesn't know who Sally Hemings is... Well, I'll, I'll jump into oh, that Oh, sorry, a sorry. Bit. Okay. I just want to... This is just the beginning part. My bad. Um... But besides that, we don't really know a ton about what she looks like. And anyway, so my point in saying that is that I'm trying to make an effort in this episode to stick to what we do know. uh, And I hope that I do Sally Hemings and her descendants some justice. Yes, and I won't butt in and try to ruin any more, like, (laughs) No, you didn't ruin anything at all. (laughs) So Sally's early life and background. Sally Hemings was born in 1773. Okay. The exact date and month are not known. She was the daughter of John Wales and Elizabeth Hemings. Elizabeth Hemings was an enslaved woman, um, and John Wales was a plantation owner. So uh. this means that uh, Sally Hemings' Sally half-sister is actually a Martha Jefferson. Oh. Thomas Jefferson's wife. I didn't know that. So... Uh, according to Madison Hemings, who's Sally's son, Elizabeth Hemings, his grandma, gave birth to six children fathered by John Wales, the man that owned her. Um, so to speak to what Andrew was going to jump into is Sally Hemings is a, was a woman who was enslaved by Thomas Jefferson who bore him six children. Oh my God. And I'm going to tell a little bit of her story and what we know. And I just found it so interesting that... that her situation, her very difficult and painful situation, is, was also the situation of her mom. I know, that sucks. Yeah, that, that you know, the it speaks to how prevalent this was um, for things like that to happen. And it's quite a shame. And it just, to me, it blew my mind. I didn't know. First of all, I didn't grow up knowing this about Thomas Jefferson. Did you? No, this was not taught in school. For no, me. this is definitely something I learned as an adult. Um, 
little did, and even then I didn't know until looking into this a little bit that she was actually the half sister of his late wife. I just learned this about a couple minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. So Sally came to Monticello, which is Je- Thomas Jefferson's um, primary estate in Virginia. Virginia. I, I want to say it's Virginia. It's in my notes somewhere. We'll get to it, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so she came to Monticello as a toddler oh. with her enslaved family members after the death of her father, John Wales. The Hemings family was Jefferson's inheritance oh my God. Um, through his wife, Martha. So just to be oh. clear, Thomas Jefferson owned Salling Hemings, his wife's half-sister, from the moment that Sally's father, a.k.a. her former slave owner, died. That's how fucked up this is at I the know. beginning. It's like, and it's already starting to be a little confusing, It's too. already a little confusing, yeah. Um, because who could be this awful? Yeah, seriously. This is like, <laughs> like, if you were to, like, pitch this to someone and be like, no, this is unrealistic. There's this- no way, like, this dude would, like, enslave his own child yeah. and, like... You know, and keep her around. And you're like, oh, no, this is not only not, like, this is actually not fictional. It happened. Yeah. In this country. In this country, and it's definitely not something that gets told. Hmm. Which is, oh, I should say that I found that super interesting about the the Monticello website. This is very, very new that they, I want to say only a few years old, that they've actually been telling the story of Sally Hemings and other enslaved people at Monticello. Jeez. Um, a lot of, you know, research has gone into trying to accurately portray what their lives would have been like mm-hmm. um, through a lot of primary sources, obviously. And I'm very sad to say that that's been met with a lot of controversy. I was reading in that New York Times article, people complaining to the reporter, like, um... I came here to learn about Thomas Jefferson, not slaves. You're joking. No, I wish I was. Oh, my God. So I think... <laughs> Dude, th- you can't make this stuff up. No, and I think that's, that type of attitude definitely speaks to why these stories are so important for us to know. Yeah. We can't be continue to um, turn a blind eye to yeah, things like this. Yeah, ignorant to these things. Yeah, so... Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> he was a founding father. Just like a, this is a baby recap of who he is because I know many of us, at least here in the States, grew up learning a lot about him. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was the second vice president and third president of the United States from 1801 to 1809. He was married to Martha Jefferson, um, maiden name Wales, mm-hmm. from 1772 until her death in 1782. So she was never a first lady. Uh, and he did not remarry. Jefferson was born in Virginia in 1743, making him 30 years older than Sally. Monticello was one of the Jefferson's primary plantations, which he designed after inheriting the land from his father at the age of 26. Jefferson owned 607 people in his lifetime. He only ever freed seven and let three others leave Monticello. Wow. 607 people. I just wanted to restate that number. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, so let's go to Paris, France. <laughs> <In> <laughs> As one does when talking about racism and <laughs> enslavement. 
And yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll get to that. In 1787, when Sally's 14 years old, she's chosen to accompany Jefferson's younger daughter, Mary or Maria. She's referred to interchangeably. Oh, okay. To to Paris, France as as Mary's maid. Um, at this point, Thomas Jefferson's already been in Paris for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And with him, he has Sally's older brother, James, whom he brought along to tr- so he could train James, or James could be trained to cook French cuisine for when they came back. Mm. Um, and his older daughter, Martha, and Martha's one year older than Sally. Okay. So Paris at this time, you know, speaking, you know, kind of to what you were saying, was considered a global hub for art, culture, politics. The city itself had about half a million residents, which is crazy for the time. Yeah, it's a pretty big city. Yeah, and at least 1,000 that we know of of those residents were free black people. Mm. And what's really interesting is Sally and her brother James are technically free under French law during their time there. Mm. That's very interesting. Isn't that interesting? So they could technically just bolt it and there would have been nothing that Jefferson could have done. I think so. I It looked, I didn't dive too much into this, but it, from like my little research, it looked like he had to start giving them money while they were there, but he gave them like, um, Pennies. I think today's equivalent of like $2 a month or something. Oh my God. So it was like, okay. Yeah. Nothing. But... So, so interesting, right, to hear he back home, he's, like, going to own 607 human beings. But in France, which, I, you know, I don't know a ton about uh, French history. I know I'm sure they have their racial issues as well. But to think they were, black people were already free at the yeah. time. It must have been so interesting for Sally and James. Absolutely. So Maria and Martha, Jefferson's daughters, mm-hmm. they lived and were educated at... Abbey Royale de Pontement, um, which actually that means Abbey, so it looks like it used to be an Abbey. Mm. So it's a school for daughters of the elite. <laughs> wow. And the building is still in Paris today. You can go see it. Oh, interesting. So what we know about Sally at this time in her life, um, she and her brother James would have lived with Jefferson at his residence, and he was staying in a big bougie hotel at the time. They would have inoculated her against smallpox. There was a like a small medical note about her that she oh, got the cool. smallpox vaccine. Um, and I'm sure they did that to protect themselves, not her. <laughs> and she was trained in needlework and the care of clothing so that she could be um, an appropriate maid to his daughters. And she learned French. We don't know if she was literate uh, in either language, in English or French. But she could choose bilingual. But she was bilingual. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So Sally lived in Paris for two and a half years, and this is where Jefferson began to have a sexual relationship with her. Oh my God, that's so disgusting. I know. This one's a hard one, guys. I'm sorry, but it's the truth, and we need to yeah, no, look absolutely. at the ugly truth. Um, so that's why, you know, I guess we should have said this at the beginning, because we had talked about doing this episode before I picked the topic. This is a weird history episode, not obviously in the fun, quirky sense, but in the how weird is it that we don't know this already? Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's weird as in, like, it's a bad weird. Yeah, this is a bad 
thing that happened. This is by no means an isolated event in American history, and we don't really hear about it. I know, and it's a shame in that, Mm -hmm. like, it needs to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when Jefferson starts to plan to come back Mm -hmm. to Virginia from Paris, um, Sally's like, I want to stay. I'm staying here in France. Um, Yeah, I'm free here. I'm going to stay. Respect. Yeah, and he makes a deal with her. Jefferson. Mm. He, this is according to um, written words by Madison Hemings, their child. Um, The daughter of Jefferson and Sally. Madison is a boy. Oh. As a man. Son then. Mm -hmm. So Madison wrote, he promised her extraordinary privileges and made a solemn pledge that her children should be freed at the age of 21 years. Oh, my God. So they'd be born slaves and be slaves for the first 21 years of their lives? hmm Oh, my God. And Jefferson, you bet that this dude is probably thinking, oh, I'm so, like, nice about mm-hmm. for doing this. Yes. I'm just a magnanimous person. <laughs> I'm so chill yeah, oh, for doing this. Yeah, I'm only enslaving my own children for 21 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, bestow upon me the title of Augustus, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we don't, so we don't know if she ever asked him for her freedom. We don't know what else she would have asked for or the nature of how that conversation went. It's really amazing that as bad as it sounds that she was able to get that good of a deal from him. Yeah. At the time of being 16 years old. And we don't know what privileges means. You know, Ma- Madison wrote privileges. We don't know what right. that entails for her. But but they return to Virginia. And when they arrive, she's pregnant with his child. Um, but this child lived but a short time, according Aww. to records. Um, so back at Monticello, Sally resumed her work as an enslaved woman working in the main house. Like countless enslaved women, Sally Hemings bore children fathered by her owner. And countless, I think, is such an accurate way to say that. There's no way of knowing for sure, right? People weren't um, documenting it or, or giving these women or their children any rights, so there's no true way to know how many times this happened. So Sally Hemings ultimately had six children fathered by Thomas Jefferson and four survived to adulthood. In 1795, Sally gave birth to a daughter, Harriet, who died two years later. Mm. In 1798, a son, Beverly, was born who survived until adulthood and he became a carpenter and a fiddler. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1799, an unnamed daughter was born Mm. and died. In 1801, she had another daughter and named her Harriet as well. Um, And Harriet did survive to adulthood. She became a spinner, like a... What do they spin? Like Like spin like fabrics. Yeah. Like like for clothing. Thread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that old timey thing that you see. I'm thinking of um, the Sleeping Beauty. The Sleeping Beauty, yes. (laughs) I don't know why. That's what came to mind. (laughs) That's what came to my mind, too. That's so funny. Um, Makes sense we're married. Yeah. (laughs) She became a spinner in Jefferson's textile factory, you know, while she was growing up. And in 1805, Madison was born. 
and survived to adulthood, and he became a carpenter as well. And then in 1808, a son, Easton, was born and also became a carpenter. Nice. At Monticello, you can now visit cabins where enslaved individuals and families, including Sally Hemings, lived. We don't know exactly where she lived, though, but we do Mm. know for sure that she lived in slave quarters. Wow, so she wasn't even... Oh, wow. This is So this is just... This is actually making me a little pissed. I know. I was very uh, angry writing this. Yeah, because, like, we revered Jefferson as, like, this, like, upholder of, like, justice and liberty. Mm. And it's, like, this inequality. is... Inequality. Yeah, this is none of those things. Mm-hmm. This is really infuriating. This is none of those things. I totally agree. So her work would have involved taking care of Jefferson's room, his clothes, their children, and quote-unquote, light work such as sewing. It looks like we have some written document where Jefferson does reference Sally in 1799. Like, I think he wrote a letter or something, and he Mm -hmm. mentions her, but he only refers to her as Maria's maid. Unbelievable. Uh, I don't understand how you could have, like... Believable. Yeah, how you can have this cold of a heart, Mm -hmm. to be honest. The mother of your children. And you're just like, whatever. If he can't see it in better moral terms, you can at least acknowledge the fact, which is that woman's the mother of my children. Absolutely. So, um, we also have a document from 1810 from Monticello mm-hmm. where Jefferson and Sally's children are listed um, as his, under his list of property. Okay. It's the title of the document, and I apologize for the language. You can, like, skip a few seconds ahead. But it's the role of Negroes, 1810, Monticello, and he lists his children. Oh, my God. Kind of like doing inventory. Right. Which I have no idea what to say about that. That's just so... I think that's just... That speaks for itself. Yeah. Madison Hemings wrote, so his son... He was not in the habit of showing partially or fatherly affection to us children. We were the only children of his by a slave woman. Jefferson's children by his wife, Martha, denied their father was also the father of Sally's children. But they didn't identify who would have been the father of Sally's children. Classic. Yeah. In 1822, Beverly and Harriet, so the two girls... Mm-hmm. Um, were allowed to leave Monticello, although they were never officially freed. Hmm. According to Madison, they passed into white society and their quote-unquote African blood was never discovered. So I did a little research into this and Mm -hmm. um, it looks like these women had to make quite a choice. They would have been actually mostly white um, because Sally was... Oh, also Sally mixed race. Yeah. And then Jefferson was white. So they would have been mostly Only white. Like a quarter black, apparently. A quarter or less. Uh, they're not. Unless that's right. Yeah. So, um, by all accounts, their children, all of their children were actually pretty uh, Caucasian looking. And these women made the choice to kind of get a fresh start and enter into white society and likely marry uh, white partners. But in order to do that successfully, they needed to cut all ties with their black family. Oh, my God. 
So they just had to reinvent themselves? Yeah. And according oh to God. research, this family, the Hemings family, because it's not just Sally's kids, right? Sally moved there with her siblings. And so yeah. these these kids grew up with their cousins there and everything. They were all very, very close. Um, there's lots of documentation to show that. So I can't imagine how much survival that would have it would have guaranteed them for them to be able to say goodbye to their family forever, essentially. It looks like they might have kept, you know, because we know this, that they were able to integrate into white society. Um, yeah, it, Stephanie did quotations. Yeah. White, yeah. by the way. <laughs> white society. It looks like they were able to, at some point, keep in contact with their brother, Madison. Okay. Do you, any idea how that happened? Probably a letter. They probably found out where they were or something, but mm. that's about it. Oh, wow. I don't know if Sally ever saw her daughters again. Jeez. Yep. So that happened in 1822. These two young women are able to leave Monticello and start anew, but at a major cost, is what I'm trying to say in my rambling. In 1826, Jefferson died, and Jefferson's will freed his sons, Easton and Madison. But not his daughters? I don't know. I guess, wow. It might have, but... They were gone at that point, so I don't know what that means. Um, So the relationship between Jefferson and Sally, we don't know a lot about it, obviously. We don't know a lot about how they were with each other. Um, But there are lots of people who, at the time, identified that they did have some sort of relationship together. So at least one formerly enslaved man by Jefferson, his name was Israel Gillette Jefferson, he identified like, oh yeah, they definitely had. They a thing. yeah, they were a thing. Um, a political cartoonist actually uh, speaking out against Jefferson did a cartoon of him and Sally, um, which is not very nice or flattering to Sally. Um, a journalist wrote about it in the Virginia newspaper at the time, and then Jefferson's neighbors were known to have commented on it before. And one of Jefferson's friends, John Hartwell Cock. Like, mentions it in a letter. Oh, wow. Like, oh, yeah, the most notorious um, plantation owner to sleep with his slave, Jefferson, basically. Jeez. So it was, like, the world's, like, most poorly kept secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, his children denied that it ever happened. <laughs> his other children. So, um... Despite the immense, like, yeah. evidence otherwise. yeah. <laughs> So, again, I'm referencing the Monticello exhibit a lot because that's where I got most of this information. And I found it really interesting that in regarding Jefferson and Sally's relationship, I think in the exhibit there's just like a a wall that says, like, rape, question mark. Um, and they kind of leave it open to interpretation and nuance. But I do want to say these facts in order to address that. Mm-hmm. Enslaved women had no right to consent. Right. Their masters, masters in quote, they owned these women's bodies, they owned their rights, and they owned their children. We have zero accounts, even from Madison, about how Sally felt about Jefferson. I know some people have actually liked to romanticize the relationship. There's a movie that came out in the 90s where it like portrayed it as a love story. Mm. Um but something that... Oh, there's zero, oh I'm going to say there's probably, like, no evidence of that. No, no evidence that she had any affection towards him. Um, something that Madison wrote was, We all became free 
agreeably to the treaty entered into by our parents before we were born. Yeah, and that really cool. stuck out to me that he uses the word treaty entered into our parents before we were born. It, for Sally, it was like a peace treaty. Like this is the most peace and the best deal I can get. Coming from her position. Coming from her position, yeah. She could not. She could not say no. Yeah, she can consent. She couldn't say no. She basically like had a gun to her head. Basically, because not only was she an enslaved person in America, he was one of the most powerful people in the country. Yeah, I mean, he literally founding father, signer of the Declaration of Independence. I think he was the author of like the author maybe of the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Yeah, he was. So like, he was a very important guy. Who is she going to go, you know, to for help? No one. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say that about their relationship. No evidence that he was even particularly, like, kind to her or sweet with her. Um, it really seems like they had an arrangement. Like, yeah. you get these quote-unquote privileges, including your children being free when they're 21 and... I get to have this power over you. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Swell. Swell dude. Um, so, again, that writer that I keep referencing, or the Harvard professor, Annette mm-hmm. Gordon-Reed, I think she said it really, really well, better than, again, my <laughs> rambling right now. So I just want to read something she wrote. The power aspect of it is very real, because obviously... He could have sold her if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. She could not refuse his advances. But his wife, Martha, could not say no to him either. I think it would be easy for Jefferson to rationalize this relationship because males were supposed to dominate women. And not only that, she was a black woman. So to him, I no way I'm agreeing with this. To him, he really, I think, would have had no moral quandary with this arrangement. You're right. That's actually a really astute assumption. I don't think he for a second thought he was doing anything that he didn't have the right to do. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There was, like, it was so ingrained, and, like, this, like, level of racism and mm-hmm. slavery was so ingrained that, like, there that was, there. you didn't need any rationale. No. He probably didn't give it much thought, yeah. to be honest. He's probably like, yeah, I don't beat her. And I'm like, the best. I'm the. I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so, Sally Hemings was never legally freed, but instead, his daughter Martha, the one who is her age, mm-hmm. gave her her time. That's the only thing I could I mean, find over hell? and over again. Is that again. like a time served kind of thing? Maybe. Yeah. That's. I actually hadn't thought of that. So she's never free, but Martha essentially lets her go. She's like, I'm not going to free you, but you can leave. <laughs> like, why? That's I the weirdest thing. I just free her. So one of the last records we have of her is a census. Um, after this time, after she was freed, where mm-hmm. she identifies herself as a free mulatto woman. Oh, wow. So I think it's kind of cool that she identified herself as a free woman, even though... Martha never technically gave her that title. Right. Um, so remember I mentioned Jefferson owned 607 people, but only freed seven? Yeah. Of the seven people he ever freed, four were his own children. As he agreed to with Sally when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Or 16. 
and the others were members of the extended Hemings family. Oh, so if you weren't a Hemings and you were employed by Jefferson, you were screwed. I mean, he frees seven out of 607. Um, Unbelievable. Slightly more than 1%. mm Mm-hmm. So after Jefferson's death and her sons are freed and she's given time served or or whatever, she actually goes and lives with her sons Easton and Madison in Charlottesville until her death in 1835. Um, And it looks like her sons are able to, from what I found, they were able to run their own businesses. One of her sons was like a fairly well-known like local musician even. That's so cool. Yeah. And they... The fiddler. Yes, the fiddler. (laughs) (laughs) And they... While they didn't, you know, there's no record that they expressed any sort of, like, loving feelings towards Jefferson. They let people know they were Jefferson's biological sons. Good for sons. them. Yeah, they did not hide it. They were known to have spoken to it. People obviously called them liars, but they're like, uh, no. Sure, fine. Yeah, you can call me that, but this is the truth. This is what my mom went through. I think that's why Madison writes about it so much. Yeah. Um. So they sound like they were really good sons, and they remained close, you know, after all of this. Mm-hmm. So, um, I wanted to end this episode with some quotes. Okay. As you mentioned, Andrew, very smart. Oh, yes, that's quite. Thomas Jefferson was an author, or if not the author, of the Declaration of Independence. And I just want to read a quote from the Declaration of Independence. Ooh, this is, I'm going to guess, wait, before you even read it, I'm going to guess this is like incredibly hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I am now going to read something that, a quote by Thomas Jefferson that I've never heard of in school. This is something that I had to find on my own. And this is from, I think, the one like work that he published called Notes on the State of Virginia. Jefferson writes, I advance it, therefore, as a suspicion only that the blacks, whether originally a distinct race or made distinct by time and circumstances, are inferior to the whites and the endowments both of body and mind. Yeah, I don't have anything. That's That's disgusting, man. That is just straight up disgusting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything else to say besides that. That is just, I can't believe like, like we were kind of taught to lying in yes. school. That like, you know, all the founding followers were these like great men and like, you know, Who fought certainly, for freedom yeah. and equality. And I'm not saying that all founding followers were like this, like, right. Like certainly we know John Adams literally said like over 200 years ago that like when future generations look back at this time, they're going to see a dark stain and that dark stain is slavery. John Adams. Yeah. yeah and he was of course right. Mm-hmm. Um, but just this, I, I, it's just, it's so, but you know, that being said, it's so amazing to me that this was not taught. No. And it's not even, it's not even like it was hinted at either. Uh-uh. I mean, this was just straight up glossed over. This is like freaking like indoctrination at its finest. Like these, mm-hmm. these are our founding fathers. They're, we're going to deify them and the way we teach about them. We're going to very intentionally ignore their many faults. Yeah. And we're going to feed people the lie that the government is always right and just. That's mm-hmm. the end goal, right? Yeah. Um, so I hope that infuriated everyone as much as it infuriated us. <laughs> and I wanted to read those two quotes juxtaposed together. 
going back to Brene Brown's Facebook post, the system is not broken. It was built this way. The same man that wrote that, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal, also wrote that he believed he was better because he was white. Because his skin pigmentation was different. Yes. If you just think about that for a second, you're Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's like utterly insane. Yeah. And it shows you why there's so much work to be done because at at this country's foundation they fucked us over (laughs) there's no better way to say it like they did not set us up for success no um so i also wanted to finish with some nicer quotes because that's really infuriating but this is from again the monticello website Um, About Sally. Okay, good. Sally Hemings should be known today not as Jefferson's concubine, that's what she was referred to back then, but as an enslaved woman who, at the age of 16, negotiated with one of the most powerful men in the nation to improve her own condition and achieve freedom for her children. Wow, yes, thank you, Monticello. That's amazing. Isn't that awesome? That is. And then back to Annette Gordon-Reed. She writes, mm-hmm. though enslaved, Sally Hemings helped shape the life and the sh- helped shaped her life and the lives of her children, who got an almost fifty year head start on emancipation, escaping the system that engulfed their ancestors and millions of others. Whatever we may feel about it today, this was of importance to her. So whether or not we think she made the right call or None of us here can pass judgment. No No. one's been in that situation. And she really, she had the love of a mother even before becoming one. Yeah, at the age of 16. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what about you, but I was like just worrying about getting my license at 16. Exactly, exactly. So that is the life of Sally Hemings and the story of her descendants. Wow. I had no idea. Like, I mean, I knew who Sally Hemings was before this, but not to this extent. Yeah. I learned a lot. I hope I did that justice. I know I rambled a lot. It's because I'm, like, upset. No, (laughs) of course. I hope that made sense to everyone who's listening. No, I think you brought up some amazing points. Mm, That was... Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not just saying that because I'm your husband. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was was incredible. Like, her story is really powerful. I know. And... I don't, and we've seen together, I don't know if anyone else listening has seen the, like, cheesy looking commercial at the surface, but when you pay attention to it, it's really powerful of people today who, through Ancestry.com, I think, mm-hmm. have been able to trace their lineage to Sally Hemings and and Thomas Jefferson. Um, their descendants are still being, like, found and getting connected with each other on the Monticello website. There is like a picture of two young people two like maybe teenagers. They look really young. Um, one is a young black man. One's a young white woman and they're both Sally Hemings descendants. Whoa. Um, so it's just so crazy to think how much we know now because of DNA. And mm-hmm. that was such a big part of the, the evidence because for so long people still were denying that that ever happened, that he ever fathered her kids. And they're like, okay, here's a bunch of DNA that shows otherwise. Yeah. No, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, definitely an overlooked story, weird history because it's freaking weird that we're not taught it. Yes. It's freaking weird that we're not taught it. That's, mm-hmm. that's perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Oh, wow. But thank you so much. For, I think to answer your question, I think you did do it justice. And I, 
I feel like I'm a pretty like big history buff compared mm-hmm. to the average layperson. You know, mm-hmm. get I'm not I'm brushing the chip off my shoulder right now, <laughs> but you know, I I learned a lot there. Yay! I love teaching you things because yes. like Andrew truly is a big history buff. Yeah, I'm a I'm a nerd and I just love learning. So you taught me. Oh, I'm so glad. And then I, you know, if anyone wants to learn more, I'm gonna link the sources that I found in the description box of this podcast episode, so you can go check it out. You can just Google Sally Hemings, and the very first thing that pops up is the Monticello website. Mm-hmm. There's this really cool, like, video and all these interactive pieces to the site that get into a lot more detail. So please, please look into that. Yeah, absolutely. I might do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, do it. All right, well, I think that that concludes our story for the week, right? Yes, it does. Tell them where they can find us, babe. Okay, guys. So if you want to send us an email, maybe you have like an idea for an episode we can yes, cover. Please. You can reach us at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. Also, if you want to get updates on our stories and if you just want to look look at memes, um, <laughs> you know, we have an Instagram. It's at History for Weirdos. Correct. And then also, what's the other thing? Do you have a Twitter? Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, same thing, at History for Weirdos. Yeah, so please find us, connect with us. Uh, like Andrew said, we, we want to hear from different people who have different perspectives than we do. And you all know you know, different areas of history that we would love to learn more about. So yeah. please, please, please share with us any weird stories. Absolutely. And if you haven't had your, your Andrew and Stephanie fixed by the mm-hmm. end of this episode, mm-hmm. you can always go to TikTok and look at my mm-hmm. <laughs> my TikTok channel. You get to see me dress up as a Roman general and dance around or spout random facts about Rome to you. It's at Roma.Omnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's specific to um, Roman history. And Andrew puts a really fun and silly twist on it. Yes. So check Emphasis on silly. Emphasis on silly for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. And until next time, weirdos, adios. Bye. Bye.